Thank you much. Take your Bibles if you would and find Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 21 through 25. Genesis chapter 2. Listen, I don't know what it is today, but a wonderful spirit uh, that is in the house, perhaps. And uh, maybe it is the music and worship that we've had. Maybe it's the fact that sunshine today, in fact, that lightning and thunder song would have gone great uh, last week. But, uh, and some of you are back. Some of you have been traveling. Some of you travel for Mother's Day. You know, a lot of small town churches, when it's Mother's Day, it's almost as big as Easter here. Everybody, a lot of folks go other places, but many of you were here. And we are continuing in our series today and uh, of uh, uh, answers for the family, founding God's Word. We're in Genesis today. won't be in Genesis every week, but uh, we started here a couple of weeks ago. Probably go through at least Father's Day, maybe a little bit beyond, as we survey and look throughout the Bible of what God's Word says about the family and find examples for us to learn from. And we're certainly glad that you're here. Next week is Memorial Day, but... We know some of you be traveling, but as often as you can be here, you want to be here. And it's a good opportunity for you to invite others to be a part as well of what's happening. Summer is a time we have lots of visitors. I don't know if you know this or not, but you do know it. A lot of people moving into Auburn, a lot of moving in and out. But uh, for the folks that are moving in, you notice visitors. We'll have lots of guests over the next few weeks. And if you're traveling, you have opportunity. I want to encourage you to find a place to worship. And I collect church bulletins and encourage you to, if you find, I have hundreds and hundreds probably from around the country or even around the world. Now, local bulletins I don't need, okay? So if you do that, I don't even need to know that you went. But uh, hey, I'm just kidding, tongue in cheek there just a little bit. But uh, we're glad that you're here. Genesis chapter 2 today, we're going to be reading verses 21 through 25. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word today? And if you would remain standing as we have a word of prayer. Genesis chapter 2 verse 21 says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Would you remain standing while we pray together? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to be in this place today. Father, we know already that you are here and wanting to meet with us, Father. And we thank you for this body of believers. We thank you for Parkway Baptist Church. And we thank you, Father, for what we mean to one another. We Thank you, Father, for the many ministries of our church and how we reached out to the community and even to the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we may continue to grow in that endeavor. And Father, today we want to pray for this particular service. We pray that you may be able to speak to us, Father, and in these weeks of talking about the family, how we might have families that represent you well, that are uh, examples to the community so that others might be able to see Jesus in us. May the light of God's love shine in us inside our homes and outside our homes and wherever we go and whatever we do. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Precious name of Jesus, we pray these prayers. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. She was a very nervous bride, said that she did not think that she might make it down the aisle. I told her, I said, you're going to be able to do this. You're going to make it. I said, when it comes time and everybody stands, you just think about that aisle, that same church aisle that you've come and gone 
up and down many times before. You just focus on the aisle. And then when you're about halfway down, you'll see the altar. And as you look at that altar, your family have worshipped at that altar many times. And you just think and you just concentrate on that altar. And then when you see the groom, you see the one whom you love, you just think about him. I said, you think about these things, you're going to be okay. Well, she felt a lot better, and when it came time for the wedding, there she was, her bright-eyed, she stood very confidently, and she'd been practicing already, thinking about going down that aisle and looking at that altar and looking at him, focusing on those things, and there she was, beautiful bride. As she began to walk, looked as if everything is going to go just wonderful, but those close to her were surprised because under her breath they could hear her say, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. Well, some people think that is the purpose of marriage, to maybe to change your spouse into what we want them to be. But the Bible tells us that God's purpose is a little bit different. It has to do with helping one another become who we are in Christ. Marriage is to help us with our relationships with others and even in our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Before we go further, I want to give you reasons to pay attention to this text because if you're married today, you need to know or be reminded of the biblical reasons and ideals in marriage to help us with understanding our relationships and our responsibilities and how they fit into God's purpose. And I want to tell you today, like in every time we come together, that are we still working on our marriage. We hope that we become a little bit closer than uh, to God hope closer to what God intends for us to be a marriage that would honor Him. If you're not married, but maybe you hope to be one day, the idea of marriage and the worldview in our culture today is so much different and in contrast to the biblical view. You want to know that going in. This, who knows, even uh, this passage today, what we talk about today, if you're looking to be married one day, that may be, that it may be able to help you to spot that very person that you... Uh, may be looking for, or maybe to help you to be the person that God intended you to be. For those of you who are single or those who are single again for whatever reason, not being married does not make you uh, any less of a person or less fulfilled. Paul talked about in the New Testament about the benefits of not being married, and for some, God through His grace has given you a great opportunity and a great gift for you to be used for His purposes. Single people have an opportunity to pour themselves, perhaps sometimes into many people, and to be used, if not in a greater way than in a different way. And while this passage and even this message may be more for the married, those who will be married, even those who are single, even if only for a season of your life, this text can help us in understanding and knowing God's purpose. In the marriage relationship found in Genesis serves as a model for all of our relationships with Christ and with others. Maybe here this morning you're thinking, well, you're not really happy with the season of life in which you're in, or maybe the relationships or the way things are in your family life. And I think of that verse in the Psalms that says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Meaning that if you seek after Him, that either your circumstances or your situation will change, or you will, or the Lord will change your desires. But God said something really strange in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God says something really strange for us. Anybody that's ever read the first chapter, the first chapter and a half of Genesis, you know that's repeated many times where God said, things are very good, creation is good. Well, then God says, it is not good for man to be alone. 
And as we shall see, is for many reasons, not the least of which, unless somebody else comes along, there's not going to be anybody else on the earth. But the same verse gives us a clue about God's purpose when he says, Adam needs a suitable helper, which leads us to our text today and seeing God's purpose in marriage from the very beginning. You've got your notes there, hopefully kind of help you along the way, either to follow along on the screen or write down for yourselves. But marriage, and in particular godly marriage, teaches you about serving one another. Teaches you about serving one another. We've looked at verse 18. We've read verses 21 and following. Look at verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 of 20 of of Genesis in chapter 2, and it says this. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the... The man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave all of the livestock to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, notice, God allows Adam to get used to the idea of a helpmate. Now, it used to be in towns where circuses would come in and they set up the big tent. They would often come in and on the day before the circus would begin... Down Main Street as they would come and they'd have a parade come to, with all the animals coming down Main Street to advertise what's going to take place. Well, we have here the God providing the first circus parade. And he has all of the animals parade before Adam to serve two purposes. The first was to have Adam name all of the animals and to show his dominion and exercise his dominion and care for the animals. But it also helped Adam to see that there was not a suitable mate for him among the animals and hardly an idea that could come from an evolutionary theory. And Adam began to notice all the animals had another of the same kind but different. And he may have begun to wonder, or at least get used to the idea of there being a mate for all the animals of the same kind but different. Thus we're reminded that God never develops a need that we have which he cannot meet. May we... Be ever grateful for a God that cares for us so much that regardless of what need we have, regardless of what we're facing, we know that He wants to meet our every need in one way or the other. Charles Schultz, writing the Peanuts cartoon, writes in a particular one where Charlie Brown comes in and Lucy's sitting at a table and Lucy looks up at Charlie Brown and says, Charlie Brown, if you'll help me with my homework, I'll be eternally grateful. Charlie Brown says, gee whiz, I've never known had anybody be eternally grateful. I'll be glad to help you with your homework. And he sits down and he says, if you'll take, he says, Lucy, if you'll take four apples away from the ten apples, then you'll have your answer. And Lucy says, well, that, is it that easy? My goodness, Charlie Brown, surely you don't expect me to be eternally grateful for something that's that, that that's easy. And Charlie Brown says, well, how grateful will you be? He said, well... How about, Lucy says, well, how about I just say thanks and we'll leave it at that. Then Charlie Brown leaves and he walks and he runs into Linus. And Linus says, Charlie Brown, what you doing today? He says, well, I've been helping Lucy with her homework. Linus says, well, was she grateful? He says, yes, but at a greatly reduced price. Here we have, sometimes we're probably grateful for our marriage. We're probably grateful for our families. But sometimes, even as believers, at a greatly reduced price. If nothing else... May this passage and others that we read today remind us how eternally thankful we are today for God's plan, our spouse, our family, and the place God has us today, wherever that is.
Not that we're always in a great situation, but we serve a great God who can use us, comes through for us. He gives us incentive to follow His Word because we know, or we should know, that He must know what He's doing. He must know what He's talking about, so we want to pay attention. Matter of fact, the marriage passage of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, tells us that wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now, before we ever get too shook up about this passage, what we want to do is we want to look at this passage this time, particularly in light of the God's purpose as said in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, Let us make a helper suitable for Adam. So all along, God's purpose was for Eve to be a helpmate. It has to do with serving. Now sometimes you'll hear this idea that the idea of submission, and particularly submission of the wife, is due to the fall that occurs in Genesis chapter 3. But hear me when I say this, the difficulty of serving each other is due to the fall. But the idea of God's purpose in marriage has always remained the same. We need help. Husbands are told in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 28, Love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. And husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. So husbands are to love their wives and to be true spiritual leaders in the home, just as I believe men are to be spiritual leaders in the church, as submission can also mean following, wives are to follow their husbands as they lead the wife toward following God. I like the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message. If I didn't like it, I probably wouldn't share it with you. But we find these words in the message in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church not by domineering, but by cherishing. Now understand, there's always, always a greater submission which supersedes any relationship or even any authority on earth. We're to please God first and foremost. And when Paul was writing these words about husbands and wives and even about children and parents and even slaves and masters, before these were written, we find this verse in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul writes this about all the relationships. We're to learn to please God by serving one another. And husbands and wives, they are to do this in different ways. A husband serves his wife by loving her as Christ loves the church. I, I think it's clear from God's Word that husbands have the greater responsibility for the Christian home. The wife serves by following her husband's lead and building a Christian home. And both are to do what they believe would be the most helpful to the other Christian's growth and well-being. Now, we certainly believe that to be true. We certainly believe it should be true in the home with husbands and wives. Now, the fact that we're to serve so that we might do what's best to help others to grow, our husband and wife to grow, shouldn't that be true of all of our relationships as well? And to the non-Christian, the idea of service is always linked to humiliation of to be a lesser value but consider that Jesus gave us the greatest example as the one who came not to be served, but to serve. He was the greatest example of service. We find him on the night before he was arrested. We find him serving the disciples' feet. And then he said, you should go and do likewise. And then who's the one who took the form of the servant? 
He is highly exalted. It's one of those opposite things of the Bible that Jesus taught. The one who is the greatest is the one who is the greater servant. And where should that begin first and foremost? Well, it should begin in the home. Simply put, husbands and wives help one another. Husbands and wives help one another. One of the purposes of marriage is to learn to serve, to help us to serve our spouse and our family and others and to find joy in doing so. And ultimately, that's how we serve and honor God. But also marriage or godly marriage teaches you about self. In fact, it teaches you not to be selfish. Don't you wish we learned that before we got married? But sometimes it takes marriage in order for us to be able to learn that. So one of God's purposes in marriage is to help us to understand that We're not the center of the universe. You and I are not the center of the universe. And marriage helps us to learn to be unselfish. After Adam named all of the animals, God put Adam into a deep sleep, removed a rib, and made the first woman. Why from the rib do you think? It was probably Matthew Henry that first said it, and you've probably heard it maybe in a wedding or two that... Uh, It was uh, not from his head that she might rule over, not from his feet that she might be trod upon, but from uh, uh, it was actually from his side to be equal with, from under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. Boy, it's a beautiful inspirational tribute to making of God's greatest creation, to the making of God's greatest creation, woman. And one reason God made her from the rib of man. But there's also a challenge. Here we're challenged once again, if you believe it to be true. Adam was said to be formed from the dust of the ground. Much of creation was made from nothing. God just said it and it was so. And Eve was said to be formed from the rib of Adam while he was sleeping. Did you notice? First anesthesia and surgery, skin graft found in Genesis chapter 2. And God made Eve from the rib of Adam. He could have made her from anything, but it's not just symbolic, poetic language. Either it was true or it was not true. Now, you've heard me say perhaps emphatically that all of God's Word is true, especially Genesis, and especially in Genesis, I believe we're to take it literally that these are the things as they really happened. One of the reasons that we know it's true is because Jesus believed it was true. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. The religious leaders are trying to trip Jesus up by asking a question about divorce. And in the answer, Jesus said these words, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So there are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, what is it that makes these words so significant? It's because Jesus is quoting Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. To disregard any of Genesis is to disregard the words of Jesus in more than one way. Not only do we disregard that he said that it was true because of what he said in Matthew 19, but who's the author of Genesis? Well, Moses might have penned the words. But it is our Lord who is the author of Genesis, and so we believe it is true. And while Eve was made from Adam and for Adam, the way in which God did this and Adam's response showed that it was not all about Adam. But he had someone else to care for and to think about even before himself. 
And it may be the problem with most marriages, maybe what our culture seems to encourage. Love of self. We tend to put ourselves first. Consequently, if your spouse does not contribute to your well-being, serve your objectives and goals, help you to be you, then you're ready to absolve that relationship. But the idea that we have in the Bible, particularly in passages such as Philippians of considering others better or more than yourself, must first and foremost be applied to the family and to the marriage relationship. That's how we learn to apply to others. There's a, uh, there's a country song out there to where in which the lyrics, the fellow says, You, you, you. Talking about you makes me smile, but every once in a while, I want to talk about me. Already today, in listening to this text and listening to this message, you have begun to think, I sure hope he's listening. Or she better be taking good notes. Well, we've got no guarantee of that. So it's up to you to improve, to put aside your own selfish desires of what you think you should be doing. It's clear we're made for a relationship with the Creator and a relationship with others following God's purpose. Because God's purpose and His ways are always best and better than anything that we can come up with. Well, at least this week, and probably for the foreseeable future, Alabama will be known across the nation as the state with the most restrictive abortion laws. Time will tell if it sticks. For Christians and as believers, we simply have to decide, well, is God's purpose than anything that anybody or any person can come up with? One argument for, one argument given for choice over life is that there will be all these unwanted and abused children. But uh, look around. Since Roe v. Wade 1973 became the law of the land, unwanted and abused children at an all-time high. Just look at the stats. Just ask anybody who's worked a, as a DHR worker. Why? Because a society which devalues life at any point causes us to have less value at all points. Not all individuals, you understand, but as a society. So either we believe God's Word and His purpose is better, or we don't. Our job is to speak the truth in love. God loves the girl or the woman who has had an abortion. And He offers forgiveness and He offers peace. God loves the girl or the woman contemplating an abortion. And He offers a better choice. God's purpose in marriage has always been for one man and one woman. Not one man and one man. Not one woman and one woman. God loves the person who has chosen an alternative lifestyle. It's clear He hates their sin, but He loves them and wants something better for them, far better. Either we believe what God's Word says is true, or we do not. And believe that God knows best. Christian comedian Brad Stein weighed in on a gay marriage debate with this insightful line. He said, do you know what I call guys who want to marry guys? Cowards. That was meant to be a little bit light. Is this still on? Everybody's okay? In a relationship not God's sanctioned, that it's impossible to find God's purpose. Many people find a purpose, but they're short-lived and fall short of what God intends. 
Thus, husbands and wives bring out the best in one another. Husbands and wives bring out the best in a godly marriage. Marriage teaches us about self. We're made for relationships. We're made for right relationships. But also marriage teaches you about sharing and trust. Marriage teaches you about sharing and trust. Adam awakes from his sleep and it's love at first sight and maybe history's shortest engagement. It's the first wedding ceremony. I don't know if you noticed there in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis 2 verse 22. At the very end of that verse, God gives her away. He gives the bride away. And Adam says his vows in verse 23, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, there's a Hebrew word or words that are used here, pretty simple words for us, but the Hebrew word ish means man. And the Hebrew word isha means woman. Like in English, the words are similar, indicating that in name and in nature they are connected and belong to each other. And yes, God's intention is one man and one woman together for life, sharing and trusting one another in the sanctity of marriage. It seems in the generation in which we live that uh, this generation has questioned the needs and the importance of marriage. More and more couples are choosing to live together before marriage or instead of marriage so to see how things work out or even for convenience. So I feel a need to talk about a, why marriage is important and why it's shared and needs to be shared with things that are shared within the confines of the marriage because of intimacy and because of trust. Consider that marriage and family is the first institution established by God. Others, such as government and education and faith and health care and even business, all started in the home and with families. Each were a derivative of what happened in the home. Yet the institution of marriage is under attack. But So if marriages fail, all other institutions fall with it. I guess it's a good thing we don't have any problems with government or health care or business or education or even faith. So the best solution may be found where? May be found in the home. And it's up to the church to hold the standard high when it comes to the sanctity of marriage. So husbands and wives provide companionship. Husbands and wives provide companionship on the front end of marriage. Our culture makes it so very hard without God's help to stay pure before the wedding. But ladies and young ladies and gentlemen, it's a matter of trusting God and your partner to wait till both rings are on the finger. Not just because the Bible says so, or not just because it's what God wants, so that should be enough, because you don't want to find out the hard way how difficult it can be. That's also best for you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And on the inside of marriage, when it becomes tough, trust God to give direction and hope. And on the other side of broken relationships and mistakes made, and know that God is a God of grace and forgiveness. He gives us a fresh start because of God's grace. Your past does not have to be part of your present. And the fact that Adam went to sleep represents that he left matters in God's hands. Adam was not fretting here and there to find what he was looking for. While Adam slept, God did his best work. See, so while we, if we can find and follow God's standards live by His love, walk in His light, God's going to do His best work. If you're looking for a spouse or looking for companionship, 
or looking for help in what seems to be a hopeless situation, learn to trust in the one who says, Come to me, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For see, you can trust God to be at work in your marriage, in your home, while you follow His principles, even if your spouse does not. Following God's plan of serving, unselfishness, and sharing will help, help to build a strong relationship. But even more than that, it's a way of trusting God to come through for you and to fulfill His purposes. I've got to tell you, there is no guarantee that God will immediately change your financial woes or your relationship woes or health worries or any other difficulties. But the promise that God will not leave you nor forsake you is a promise that God will keep. And the fact that He will use whatever situation you're going through. He'll use whatever thing that you're facing today to help to shape and to mold you into who Christ is so that you can be more like Him and be able to help and to use whatever situation you're in so that you might be an influence on others and help with kingdom building as well. You'll find meaning and purpose through living by God's standards and living by God's truth. Trust Him. And you can trust God because marriage teaches you about the Savior. Marriage teaches you about the Savior. Someone once said, and I never thought about it this way, maybe you'll see the difference. Someone once said, God made sheep so that we might be able to have a good illustration of the kind of people that we are and that we are in need of a good shepherd. Now, here's the difference. I've never thought about it like that. I just thought, well, God made sheep. And then Jesus, maybe along with David of the Old Testament, then saw the sheep and said, you know, that'd be a good example of the kind of people that the church or God's people are, you know, like people like us, not very bright, but in need of a good shepherd. I don't know if you see the difference. I'm just saying God is that forward thinking. He could have made sheep just so we might be able to have a good example of who we are and how we need a good shepherd. Well, I believe it's probably that way when it comes to marriage. The relationship of husband and wife all along was to help us to be able to understand the most important of spiritual relationships. The New Testament talks often about the church or about uh, church being the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32 says, This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Revelation 21.2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husbands. Husbands and wives reflect Christ and the church. It is a relationship that we have with our spouses that reflect the relationship that we're to have with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when that relationship on earth is broken, it grieves the heart of God because, for many reasons, but one, because it breaks that reflection and that symbol. Believers who marry believers represent Christ and the church. It's to be the closest relationship on earth, symbolizing that relationship. One way we showed love to God is by loving our spouse. In our marriage and how we conduct ourselves in the home is to be a testimony to the world about our Savior. It's not, it's not about whether you have a perfect home or a perfect marriage or not. Then it would be easy. But it's about our actions and our attitudes in the midst of less than perfect situations because of a faith in a living God. Would you like to have a loving family 
life and a loving home? Would you like to have a godly marriage? Well, it begins with a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, then it is my desire, my encouragement today that you give your heart and life to Jesus for many reasons. First and foremost, so that you might be able to spend eternity with Him. So that you might be able to have the purpose and the plan that God would have for you. But also, so that your home life and your marriage and relationships may be all that they can be as well. And that the Lord can help you in those difficult times as a believer in the Lord Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord already, it is a time such as this, a passage such as this, that reminds us that God does have a purpose and a plan in all that we do. And we want to seek Him ever more closely. Let's do that today. Let's bow together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, we recognize and thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. We thank you for the plan that you have given for our lives, plan for the home. We know, Father, that uh, you have a plan regardless of our season of life, regardless of uh, where we are in our relationships with others. We know that you want to continue to be at work. We pray, Father, we dedicate ourselves to you, dedicate our homes to you. We pray, Father, that you may help us to grow ever more closer for all the reasons as stated in your word. And, Father, we pray if there's one or more here who do not know you as Savior and Lord today, and would like to find the answers about, for their marriage or for their home life or for the future, Father, we pray that today may cause each to know that we can find that answer to beginning that relationship with you. Today may be the day of salvation. It is our prayer. We thank you, Father, for your continuing to love us. We tell you that we love you today.